Hello, ICI members, and welcome back to the ICI Dig Steep podcast. I am your host, Charlie McCullough, and this week I was joined by ICI Director of Government Affairs, Dan Osborne, and Milestone Contractors, VP slash Area Manager, Corey Baugh. These two break down ICI slash statewide joint cooperative committee agenda topics like work zone safety and more. Please enjoy this conversation between two industry experts. This is Dan Osborne with Indiana Constructors, and I have Corey Ball with Milestone Contractors on the line. He is the current co-chair of the ICI NDOT Statewide Joint Cooperative Committee. Welcome, Corey. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you spending some time with us today to review statewide joint cooperative committee agenda topics. We'll specifically reference some of our discussion that we had at the May 31st statewide meeting with NDOT. A few of the things that we discussed during the meeting, we always start out the meetings talking about work zone safety. We've had a a long run of intense conversation over the past few years. We talk a lot about positive protection, talk about law enforcement officers and use of those. We talk about maintenance of traffic, for maintenance of traffic lately. Anything that you and Milestone are looking at at this point in time that maybe is a little bit more focused for you folks? Well, that's... It's like everything. There's never one magical answer. If there was, I, I hope we would have found it by now, but it is the the little pieces of all those things. And I would add, you know, dynamic signage in there and staying on top of notifying the public of what's coming up. The work zone safety and speed enforcement and things like that's going to be huge coming up. And, and once again, another piece of the puzzle as we build safer roads and put everything together. The MOT for MOT does help, I think, probably the most vulnerable at times and and how we get out there and get a job started and and set up the gun and how we take them up. So excited to see what comes out of that. Keep our traffic control specialists out of harm's way as, as much as we can. This is a dangerous job, but I think there's more we can do, as we all know. Yeah. No, we got plenty to talk about. When we start talking about work zone safety at the meetings, I think we could run the full two hours on the work zone safety, which is not a bad thing, but we have many, many other topics to try to get to. Real quickly, administratively, we want to promote the vice chair opening uh, positions in 2024 for all, actually all three regions and the statewide also, because you'll be graduating out and Thane Knox with EMB will be stepping up into your position. So I didn't ask you to do this, but any thoughts about why you think it was important to get involved with the the joint co-op and your experience through the chairs? Well, I mean, it's kind of two, two or threefold. I mean, when you look at it, your ability to, to once again get in, in front of leadership and help, you know, lead the charge on things you're passionate about. I mean, I, and that's the thing is if you take these leadership roles, they know that you want to be part of, of the change, whatever that may be. And our industry is always going through that. And we've got a lot of generations in the workforce now. And it's, it's a great time, no matter where you're at in your career, to continue to grow and learn. I always think it's great to be involved in, in larger settings. Helps your personal development and, and being around great people that care about the industry. So I can't say enough about it. I think it's created a lot of great relationships through that. And hope I made a little bit of difference. I think Thane's going to do a heck of a lot better job than, 
per se I have, but hope to stick around a little bit and help where I can and be an advocate for it. Uh, I think it's huge for our industry to continue to talk. That's the only way you got to have one more conversation and try to push a few of these things. It just helps you be a little more empathetic to more dot side of things. And you're hearing it from just a, a little bit different angle. You're not right in the fight, right in the situation of a particular job, a particular issue. You're, you know, you're talking more broadly. You're trying to steer the ship a little bit and once again, make an impact. In the end, better roads for everyone. Well, I want to take this opportunity to tell you we appreciate your participation from even your, your time at the Southern Region leadership position all the way through the statewide and definitely I'm no I'm looking forward to your next steps so definitely aren't going away you're still gonna be part of the yeah joint co-op going forward yep and another plug for ITT so that's right that piece of it in and transportation team especially on the contracting side another place to to build the relationships and have time to build the trust yep. and report work to hopefully help the industry move forward Corey, we talked a little bit under our bidding letting topic or heading about what happens to question and answers, Q&As, after a subsequent letting. The contract doesn't get awarded and it goes on to a, a B or a C contract a couple months later. What happens to the Q&As? And that, was, that question was posed to Yendai and did get an answer. It wasn't a solution necessarily at this point, but I think we're going to keep pushing this topic. Why are the Q&As important to contractors? It's just one of the pillar communication pieces, really the only one uh, we have to get concerns uh, with either, once again, maybe a spec conflict, safety concern, a scheduling or timing concern, those kind of things out there, at least in the forefront from the beginning. Now, we, we have been thinking about that from the contractor community, that there is a concern. And they are listened to. I, I'm not saying that. But a lot of times, you know, everyone's busy. So I think they're supposed to be then brought into implemented, if you will, or not implemented. And that's probably the biggest concern is if somebody answers a question as in bid it per the specifications or the bid it per the plans or, or whatever, that communication line still is worth something in the end and clarifying that. Right. Um, you want to know if that becomes an amendment on the B contract. Exactly. And not them documenting that and letting you know gives you, decreases the amount of time you have to go searching through the contract to figure Correct. Out. Correct. And it really does send some clarification to what we're looking at. And I think it saves some people some time. So I don't know really quite the right solution completely is to the Q&As if we tie those back in and, and put them out. So once again, they, they don't have to be asked again. There is some some diligence with the history of that, right? Yeah. And what if we did? Trying to save everybody some time. What if, we, what if we treated it just like an RFI log where, you you know, a question is asked and whatever the answer is, that is logged. And then that information, it always stays with that contract, part of the bidding package. And it could just be for information only, but I guess then it would just be kind of a communication log, you know, type of thing where at least you, you knew what happened with that information with the question. Correct. And a lot of times, you know, we're all humans. So the true execution of getting that fixed or clarified, even when it states that it's going to be right, it doesn't. And if somebody doesn't catch it on the B bid, because once again, it, what happens is if you go to a B bid, I mean, think of it as a contractor. It's not like there's not more contracts in the next letting to bid, right? 
Mm-hmm. So a lot of these estimators and staff now are bolting on a job or two that are rebids on top of new jobs they're trying to bid. There's a lot of, of due diligence there, and something could slip through the cracks right. and not have gotten implemented, not gotten asked, and all of a sudden you've got a bid that's more messy than what it would have been the first time around. Right. Well, hopefully we can continue to push and die and we can work together on, on solutions because I don't think it's complicated. It's just something that they have to try to inject into their big machine over there. And that's a tough thing to do sometimes. It is. It is. And I, and I don't I don't think they're in, ignoring us, but I do think having that documentation and agree that would once again help clarify and, and move people forward quicker on the rebids. Yeah. One other note for bidding and letting and awards, we reviewed the law change that occurred this year during the Indiana legislative session that revised the NDOT's law about contract awards. So used to be able to award at a million dollars, but that's been taken up to minimum $3 million or contracts up to $3 million NDOT can award without adhering to the rest of the criteria the way I read it. And then also take the minimum number of bidders up or down from four to three. And by our calculations here at ICI, that over the last couple of years, that would increase the awardable contracts at bid time to around 60%, which is a positive thing. We continue to talk about purchase order funds. Corey, we, I think a lot of contractors, especially a lot of the subcontractors are, that are coming in the second half of contracts are feeling the pain of deficient purchase orders. I feel like we've done a pretty good job communicating a lot of the examples to NDOT and now waiting for some concrete actions on their part. But in the meantime, we reviewed some of the best practices that I think I'm sure that your folks are doing and kind of reviewed during our region round of meetings in, in January, February, with specific reference to references at the pre-construction meeting, talking about purchase order funds and change orders and overruns, and then also on um, the progress meeting agendas too. Do you have anything, any thoughts on that or any additional commentary about purchase order funds? Man, it's it's just continual conversation because it, it is, it's just a complicated thing. I mean, you can get on these jobs that have multiple, multiple DES numbers and, and I, I don't want to be sitting in the seat of the PE and PS at times trying to understand where this pays and, and doesn't pay and, and trying to get that all in there. But it, it's, it's just so important. I mean, it, you know, you, you have to be paid in a timely manner for the work you do. Talk a little bit about what it means to have positive cash flow from your perspective. I think that's something that's a lot pretty hard for a lot of folks to understand why it's so important for you, for contractors, subcontractors, and suppliers. Well, I mean, the majority of our bills are, are weekly or, or net, net 30 at most, and with our subcontractors as well. So the flow down of money each day is huge toward if you are the need to borrow money, right? If you're checking account, just like if you're at the house, if your checking account doesn't have it, you have to go put it on a credit card and you can't pay the credit card bill off at the end of 30 days, you're, you're accruing interest. And a lot of times there's so much upfront cost with buying things, renting things, weekly payroll, fuel bills. I mean, that's immediate cash out the door. And we know uh, where fuel's gone up and and gone down and still staying pretty darn high. It's just huge. So if you get pushed 10 or 15 days on being paid, worse yet, you know, not even getting an item on a purchase order or a, a, sorry, a uh, 
estimate. What it, yeah, one of your estimates. And that pushes to the next estimate or to the next estimate. It's a slippery slope. And you can imagine that's for the, you know, you've got the prime and like you talked about for the subcontract. They're out there a lot of times procuring specialty materials months ahead of time due to, once again, supply issues and, and whatnot that have that have happened in our industry over the last few years. And to try to stay on a schedule, getting that ahead of time, and then if they're not paid timely, that comes from somewhere, right? And, and you have two, two ways of dealing with this. Either it doesn't come from somewhere, and you're, once again, you're most vulnerable, your smaller contractors no longer do end up work. We need more contractors and subcontractors doing the work you know, or B, they're business people, they build it into their price, yep. you know, and, and build that negative cash flow into their pricing, knowing they're going to have interest they have to pay in the end. So either way, it's a no-win situation. I, I think you, everybody knows if you want to do something at your house, I always like to think of this example, if you want a good contractor at your house, try not to pay him for a little while. <laughs> you'll have one job with them. And that's if, I mean, and, and you can be honest and, and work with them and not not be a stickler or, or anything, if you will. But, you know, go, hey, yeah, yeah, I'll get something to you in 60 days. That'll be the last contract you do with them. So it's a different, but it can be the same in, in some pieces of that where our business and if we're wanting to get, get more subcontractors and more people on our business to help, help build the work. Thanks for that uh, kind of dive into into behind the curtain there a little bit, Corey. Appreciate that. Hey, we got a few more minutes. Number fifty three, compacted ag. Just we just can't get that off the agenda. I think it's a. It may never be perfect, and that's maybe that's my problem is that I think we can always do better, but I feel like there is some exacerbation of the delays that are associated with procuring, placing compacting and testing of compacted 53s in this era of tight schedules where we just don't have time to sit around and wait for it to dry out, for it to, you know, all the different things I think maybe in the past you could do to kind of work. Now we're really counting on it to fall strictly within your your schedule because the, the subsequent activities depend on it. I don't know if you have any additional thoughts more than we've talked about it. We did talk about it in the bridge subcommittee meeting about testing uh, delays underneath the reinforced bridge approach and how that would affect the critical path schedule, including steel placement. I don't know if there's any other examples that you have that maybe you can talk about briefly. Yeah, I think there's just a little bit of inconsistency and some education to get out there with really access and, and the ability to get to some of these places to get the right equipment to, you know, try to get it to pass. If you're doing a little 20 foot approach for a bridge and those end up being the most critical areas and you, you know, you can't even get in there to regrade something up. And once again, if the load's dumped a little weird and you're shoving the material with a skid steer, I mean, just whatever you, you have to work in these small areas, yep. um, on bridge approaches specifically, it, it's tough to really get a the gradation and get segregation and things that just happen in the in these pieces here. So I think, you know, making sure it is compacted, it is hard, you know, and finding a way to make sure that we're not putting anything on soft subgrade by any stretch of imagination. Able to rectify the subgrade before we put this aggregate down. That's that's the yep. other issue. Yep. Yeah. 
And well, with patching it, especially it's, you know, a lot of times it's what are you supposed to do to, to try to get the water out? A lot of times you are just kind of do, doing something kind of floating there with some twos or whatever. Uh, I do think that some best practices of passes with, with whackers and maybe even specifying those kind of things would help, you know, just making sure that we are putting a consistent effort out there and doing the best we could do. These, these areas have to be open. I mean, they're just, they're critical for the traveling public and to, to keep schedules. So to, to have to mess with the subgrade for three or four days is, is something I don't think anybody wants to see. The traveling public's going, well, why, why, why isn't this moving forward? Yeah. And that doesn't put a positive light on anybody. Yeah, I think I, I think I can break it down, you know, to, to the material. There's, a, there's some variation in materials around the state to all, all fall within the cap program by NDOT. They test it. There's, as you guys know, you've got plant right across the street. You've got, um, like you said, the conveyance of it, the spreading of it, all these things can affect the quality of the material because it is, it's not an engineered, it's sort of an engineered material, but it, it does need to have those different levels of aggregate in there and fines and then to be spread consistently for it to work and have to have some moisture um, and then, and then from the education side of the inspection too, is trying to identify, is it the right material, the appropriate material that, that correlates with the target density? And then, you know, having a plan B for those areas, like you said, that, uh, we cannot get our traditional equipment in, we can't do a, a triaxial proof roll. We need to be able to get in those areas and prove them somehow so that we're not sitting there, the cost to have everybody out there. And, and we need to understand that the cost of that's going to be a lot higher at some point than the risk of that stone not being compacted properly. Well, it's compacted properly, but it's the testing aspect, just making sure that we have some way to document that it's, it's been properly compacted um, without having the strict test results, I guess. So any the notes that I add today, Corey, anything else that you wanted to add? I don't believe so, Dan. Just appreciate the opportunity and the friendship. So we'll continue on down the road. Yeah, no, appreciate your, your time today. You got actually one more statewide meeting to preside over in late November. I can't remember the exact date. So stay tuned, everybody. And we'll be working with Corey and I and Thane Knox with EMB, along with NDOT leadership, Roland Fagan, Greg Panko, Joe Novak, Kurt Pels, and others in the construction division. Be working together over the next few months, probably in conjunction with some of the notes and feedback from our region meetings in August and we'll generate another agenda for the for that winter meeting this this winter I'm 23. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Thank you Dan and Corey for all that awesome insight and I hope everybody listening thoroughly enjoyed this. I will see you guys on the next episode of the ICI Dig Steve podcast.